You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another episode of the X-Men Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you as always for checking out the program. It has been a little less than two months since the last show. And again, I always apologize when I take a little break. And more often than, than not, they are unplanned breaks. <laughs> but uh, you know, this I was so busy with the Ice Nine Kills thing. I didn't actually record an interview the entire time I was out with them because every time I was with them. So at the beginning of the tour, another project kind of came my way and that was very time consuming, all time consuming. So I was on the road with a brand new band and also working on something else basically every day for about two months, which is kind of a secret. (laughs) Uh, That's all right. Maybe one day it'll come out. And then between every tour, there'd be like four days off between a tour. I'd have to learn new Ice Nine Kill songs. And then in in between that, Bad Wolves, I had to, on the second tour, I had to uh, drive up to Chicago and fly out to do a music video. When we had time off between the second and third tours, I shot two Bad Wolves music videos, had to learn two more Ice Nine Kill songs, and you know, there's, there's a lot of work behind the scenes. There's God Forbid shows coming up this October. So I've been doing work, getting prepped for that. Uh, Bad Wolves, we were basically supposed to uh, do this tour. And then that ended up not happening. And so I was like, I came home early, literally on my way to rehearsal when I found out the tour was canceled. So I was ready to go and putting all this work to get prepared for that. And, you know, things just... Things just didn't happen. It was it was really kind of kind of deflating. But luckily, I was able to jump out for like the last week of the Ice Nine Kills tour with Metallica. And but I only got to do I didn't even get to do another Metallica show because the Phoenix show got postponed and Ice Nine couldn't couldn't do the the, the makeup show. So it's been a crazy crazy fight. Like it 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 says five months of touring, but if you really go back to tour prep and learning songs it's like six and a half months almost so it it's just one of the craziest uh, time periods i've ever experienced uh doing music and you know in a weird way i felt like almost the most normal i've ever felt coming home from a tour like i was in a weird way i almost got so used to touring that i just got to just all right i'm just just be normal on tour (laughs) and so i didn't feel too different but there's just no way around, I think, the come down, you know, your your brain experiences, even though I was really happy to be home, uh, just getting that that juice every day and and being able to tour in that kind of level and you know, things just kind of slow down. You don't you don't have that same stimuli, that same uh uh I don't know, kind of motivating force. You know, your whole day is revolved around that. There's a very distinct sense of purpose on the road that's difficult to 
manufacture when you're away from that. And, uh, you know, it's just always an adjustment. So, you know, I, I feel like that you, you actually feel the, the happiest, like that first week is like, oh, I'm home. You get to watch TV, hang out with my lady, hang out with the dog, you know, do some things, relax. And then with battles canceling the tour, it was like, you know, we were basically doing these meetings and we have the record coming out and we're trying to figure out the plan to like promote stuff. And that's been very, just, it's a lot of work on that end too. And I have just a million things going on, just like putting my room back together. Like my office studio is very small. So when it's disorganized, it's just, I can't get anything done. So I had to spend like a whole day putting that together before I could actually get, get uh, back to work over here. But we're going to be doing a Q and a episode answering questions and, uh, before I get into that, there's a new Bad Wolf song. I don't know if you guys have heard it. It's the song that's going to be going to radio. It just dropped it at radio. Actually, it was the most added song at Active Rock Radio, I want to say like a week or two ago. And uh, it's a fun tune. I hope you guys like it. This one's entitled Legends Never Die. Bottom of a bottle, pulled out a shot for you, I can feel you by my side You see the man upstairs, says you're going somewhere, cause you live and then you gotta die Looking up high, I know just why the sky's so bright tonight Cause every single star is somebody we love and we never have to say goodbye Legends never
So that was Legends Never Die, the brand new single from Bad Wolves, which is coming off our forthcoming album entitled Die About It. And it comes out November 3rd, I believe. I think that's right. <laughs> uh, head over to uh, badwolvesnation.com to uh, pre-order the album, pre-save, vinyl. I don't know if vinyl will be ready day of release, but it will eventually show up. So that would be amazing if you guys could support the band. Uh, we just announced today we're going to be direct support for the legendary Bush for a few weeks uh, from like mid-November, mid, mid excuse me, into early December. So that is extremely extremely exciting and again uh i apologize and all of us apologize for uh canceling our last tour with the who and asking alexandria it was definitely a bummer and uh you know but we're gonna try and make it up to you guys so as you can see we're getting right back out on the road as soon as we can right around the release of the album so that's really really exciting all right let's get into this q a so the first question we have is from rob rob arnold this is i actually did questions on instagram which usually i do like facebook and twitter but i was like let me let me see what the instagram people got have to say so we have rob arnold the great rob arnold uh guitar player from chimera asks love you rob tell us how metallica quote unquote does things and you know it's it's like a big question because Obviously that uh, kind of environment is just very unique. There's really nothing like a Metallica environment. And I have to say, I remember when I did the tour back in 2009, <clears throat> you know, things were a bit more hurried and tense because it operated more like a normal tour where you'd be doing like, you know, they'd be playing, you know, a few shows a week. And I remember the whole thing was like, don't be in the hallways when they're loading out because they'll kill you or run over you or kick you off the tour or something. And because of this, they're doing these stadium runs where we're playing on a Sunday. So they've already done a show. And so it's like, everything's just a lot more laid back on these shows. I mean, it's sound checks. You, you get plenty of time. There's, you know, it's not, it's everything's just very easy on, on, on this run. And their, their crew is insanely helpful. They're just like, what do you guys need? How can we help? I mean, they couldn't be, they couldn't be nicer, but you know, how does, how do they do things? I mean, they're very, very courteous and welcoming to the bands. They really care about the people. They will come to the dressing room before you go on and greet you and say hello uh, and, you know, wish you a, a, a good show. The first show, there was a cake you know, welcome to the tour. And sometimes they'll give you a bottle of champagne or there might've been a bottle of champagne that night. I can't remember, but things like that. And then on this tour, they've been doing these after show dinners. Um, and usually that will fall on the Friday and it's for the bands and the crew. And, you know, you get to go out there and it's, you know, it's big wig stuff. They'll rent out a really nice restaurant and it's, you know, it's about as cool as it gets. <laughs> you know, you feel, you know, I remember the first one they did and I, and the way I really met these guys was they did one of those back in 2009 in Montreal. And it was just the bands. We got to hang out all night. This is when, you know, some of the guys were still drinking and they don't really drink anymore. But I remember just being there for Spencer, uh, Spencer from Ice Nine Kills to like hang out with Lars and get to talk to those guys. And he was just, you know, he could just couldn't believe it. Just that, you know, he had to really pinch himself and really take a moment of having that 
connection, you know, with, you know, one of the most important, the most important metal band of all time. So it was just really cool. And they, so they really care about those things and, and they're the ones that who kind of have to care the least and yet they care the most. So I, I would say that's how Metallica does things. They're kind of, they're the focus they put on people, uh, is really different than any other band. I mean, like their crew, they've had the same people for 30, 40 years. It's insane how loyal they are and how much they care. So it's a beautiful thing. We got uh, Joey Sturgis. Shout out Joey Sturgis, great producer. Still wants to do an episode. Yes, we have to schedule that. We're going to get Joey on the show. We're going to talk shop. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, from Southern Knucklehead Family, Five Finger Death Punch. Hell yeah. Uh, funny how you know who assumed that you were staying with Ice Nine Kills as a permanent member. Uh, laughing emoji. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we, we know about you know who and uh, always going to be the, the doomsayer and bring negativity. And, you know, me, I'm a I'm a man of my word. You know, I told people, yeah, hey, I'll be back with the band later this year. And, and that's what I'm doing. And the Ice Nine Kills opportunity, incredible. I mean, obviously, they're kind of operating at a different level right now. And just being a part of that is a blessing. But, uh, you know, it's like just stepping out and doing my thing with them. You know, that obviously makes certain things difficult for battles to do. So I had to make sure I got back to the band at an appropriate time with the album coming out and, you know, just fulfilling those commitments. So, yeah, some people, they, they want it to fail and they're going to do what they can to to try and make it fail. But we resist. Uh, Martin, none shall fall. Uh, how come your head is so bold and beautiful? Does it mean bald and beautiful or bold? I don't, I don't know. Well, I shave with the Gillette Mach 3 and I just found out Target started making this, um, like generic Mach 3 razor that actually works pretty good. So went from spending like $12 to like $5. So I like that. And, you know, I shave every few days and I moisturize and I use uh, aftershave. And I don't know. I mean, you need to have the right dome for it. And I think my dome looks pretty good, like straight ahead. The profile, not so much. My head's flat in the back and it comes to a point and it looks a little weird. But it's it's kind of funny about your profile, right? It's like you never get to see it really. It's only in pictures. So it's like, damn, I look like that. And then it's disappointing. So I wish I had a stronger profile. But what, what are you going to do? <laughs> but thank you <clears throat> Billy London if you could reboot an 80s action movie what movie would it be and who would star in it man uh, that's a tough one because like like, because I think the only thing that should be rebooted is something that you know like that kind of missed the mark you know, and, and like off the top of my head, I'm, I'm trying to think like what, what would be a good reboot? Like, I was, like it's weird because they did delete the weapon in the show, but I almost feel like you could redo the movie if you had the right actors. You know, like what, what would be the good actors? Like if you could do, like Samuel L. Jackson's probably too old now. He's in his 70s, you know. Um, you need like a crazy, you know, if you had like Ryan Gosling and I mean, could he, how crazy is Ryan Gosling? I don't know. You need someone who could be crazy. You're going to do the rigs. I need to think about this. We're going to come back to this one. And maybe I'll like pause this and then I'll come back and I'll, I'll have my answers. Because this I need to do research on. It's a big, I, I care too much about the subject to just 
willy-nilly not care about this. All right, Meredith Norkis, love you, Meredith. What was the most valuable takeaway you had through your experience with Iceland Kills and how will you incorporate it in the future? Well, a big, one of the big, you know, uh, draws for me to actually take this gig was just to kind of see how they operated. And especially with Spencer, you know, cause the guy, you know, I kind of knew it beforehand, but when you get to see it in person, you kind of know, like the guy's kind of a genius. And just what I love about them is the synchronicity between uh, the concept, the songs, the stage performance, the clothes, the music videos, the merchandise, everything is congruent. Everything is planned. Everything is thought about uh, to such a great detail. And just, you know, just getting to see that work every day was really tremendous because I think I can take those lessons of seeing something that does work and then apply it to things I do in the future. It doesn't, and it doesn't mean go and do what they're doing because they, what they're doing is very unique. Um, but I think just, just understanding that synchronicity and having a big idea and executing uh, in all ways. And then, you know, another thing was just getting to see how, you know, they work behind the scenes, you know, just re rehearsing and preparing, you know, uh, him and Joe, Joe is the bass player, kind of the musical director, incredible vocalist, uh, you know, has great pitch. And he was kind of like telling me what to sing, working on harmonies. And we'd sit there in rehearsal and just run harmonies with no band, you know, maybe there'd be play some chords behind it and just do that for like, sometimes for like an hour, just doing vocal harmonies. And it was a lot of work and the stuff was hard to sing. And I literally, I feel like I just barely learned it. And it was like, right away I had to do it. And I was, it was probably the most, one of the more nerve wracking things, singing parts that were hard and trying to remember lyrics and, and all that stuff. It was, uh, it was a lot, but just seeing how they do it and how do they have five guys singing? Uh, it's incredible. And they really put the time in. They're really talented. A lot of stuff you wouldn't know because so many bands fake it. You know, there's a lot of tracks and they're really doing it. And they really put the time in. And that was really awesome to see. Um, actual Wolfman. Doc, do you see this era of heavy music as similar to the mid-2000s where a lot of bands appearing on the scene? Thanks. You know, I to me... See, so this, so these are boom times, all right, for the metal scene or metalcore scene or whatever you want to call it. But I would probably compare it a little more to the like the late '90s, early 2000s. What happened for new metal? Because bands are getting like kind of that big. I mean, you have bands moving into the arena level, gold records, platinum records, uh, a lot of the the lead figures in in these bands that are, their social media they're getting the millions of followers and so you're getting you're seeing stars pop up and you're seeing these these bands just grow and grow to like really big levels and to me the like the 2000s thing it never got that big i mean the biggest it depends who you consider part of it right was avenged they were a part of it but were or they were they above it or beyond it right um but as far as, you know, if you if you don't count Avenge, I guess you can kind of count them. They were still, you know, they were playing with Bullet For My Valentine and, you know, bands like that. So they were they, they were they were connected. But to me, they were just in a stratosphere on their own, even while it was happening, you know. Um, 
But outside of that, it was, you know, Lamb of God, Kill Switch, Bullet, um, you know, Atreyu did really well. I'm I'm trying to think who really how big the bands got. I think if you if you were to fast forward, you know, another five years, five, seven years, that next wave got bigger. You know, the the Parkway Drives. They got, you know, they were pretty pretty soon they were bigger than Kill Switch or selling just as many or more tickets than a band like Lamb of God. Uh, and that happened kind of a, a, across the board. So I think what hap- what's happening now, A, I think it's less purely metal. Like we don't really, like if you had a band that came out now that sounded like a kind of 2000s new wave American heavy metal band, they would really stand out. Cause I mean, as far as like, like to me, the only two bands I hear right now that sound like that are actually uh, UK bands. It's Silosis and Bleed with, Bleed from within, and I know none of those bands are new, but they're they capture that spirit. By the way, that new Silosis record is a beast, just a monster of an album. Oh, I forgot to mention Trivium. Trivium was obviously a big band from that era, era and did really well. Azalea Dying did really well, um, but I think a lot of these newer bands, like I said, not the same sound. I think it's a different sound now. It's a lot. You know, bands are infusing pop, bands are infusing hip hop. It has a lot more, and even the extreme bands that are blowing up, uh, whether it's Slaughter to Prevail or Lorna Shore, they are they have these dynamic, charismatic uh, front front men, uh, and it, and they've managed to kind of go viral in social media, and they've that's been like the conduit, you know, and that goes kind of beyond the sound. It's it's a really interesting place we're in. You know, you have bands like Amana Marth now playing arenas. It's like, what? It's crazy. It's a- absolutely crazy. So I think it's different and bigger. So that's how I would describe it. Freak Productions. Production, excuse me. Uh, Action Jackson or Cobra? That's an excellent question. I would say Cobra is probably the better movie. And it's a little more iconic, like, you know, that opening scene. I think the bad thing about Cobra, the opening scene is the best scene. So any movie where you, the, the first scene is the best scene, it's kind of like, it's not always the best thing, but I think it's a little more iconic. Like I have the poster behind me and there's just the poster is the coolest thing in the world. Action Jackson, I've not seen it in a while. Like it's like, it's never streaming. It's never out. I probably should just buy it. Um, but I just remember it was always fun. There's a lot of fun in that movie. Probably one of my favorite parts when he jumps over this car and you're like, yo, that's what Action Jackson does. He jumps over cars, okay? And Carl Weathers, you know, I guess maybe the movie wasn't a hit. He should have got more more shots at being a star because he was a star and he is a star. So Cobra with the with the slight edge. I'm going to grab some beverage here. Excuse me. I'm not cutting that out. I don't care what you guys say. You know, actually, my water's over here. You know, why be professional when you can be real, okay? Make all the, the noise. Mm. There we go. Okay. Back to it. Uh, does this say Glamish? Glamish Kit has a question. How did the collab with Einstein Kills come to fruition? Mainly it was through... Uh, so if you guys have listened to the... Uh, symposium episodes we've done on here. I've done it with Eric German, entertainment lawyer, Mike Mowry, who manages Ice Nine Kills, and uh, Ryan Downey. And really, so it was Eric and, and Mike really came to me with this idea of 
filling in for Dan. And really when they asked me, I was a little intimidated because I was like, man, man, like his stuff is pretty crazy. And, but I was kind of that thing. You just, just say yes. And <laughs> like, can you do it? I'm, oh, sure. Yeah, I, I could do it. And there was kind of a problem. Like they wanted me to rehearse like a week after they talked to me and it was like 16 songs. And sorry, I'm making so much noise. I'm not comfortable here. Sorry. Um, they had asked me to come into rehearsal like a week after that, but they had no learning materials, no tabs. And there was a lot of confusion about what they were sending me. So they'd send me something They're like, oh, well, that's kind of right, but not right. This guy was telling me to learn this, play this. And so by the time I got to rehearsal, maybe I knew, I don't know, eight songs or something, nine songs, but I wouldn't know like the, the solo because the solo would be really hard. And it's like, and so I felt like I was really behind the ball and every day I'd have to go in and rehearse with them and rehearse what I knew and then learn more songs at night. And I was burning the candle at both ends and I think they could see I was struggling. And uh, then the idea got to bring in Miles um, to play lead and then I could kind of focus on rhythm and singing. And But they could have fired me, but they didn't. They, they, uh, they let me stay on, they wanted me to be around. And so that became my new role. And. and Trust me, it was definitely a bit of a uh, <laughs> an ego hit, but I was in. I thought some of that lead stuff might was a bit over my head to begin to begin with, and I think I could have gotten it if, like, for example, like when Lamb of God asked me to play with them, I had months to learn the music, you know. But if Lamb of God asked me to learn it in a week, I might have fell on my face on that gig too. Do you know what I'm saying? So, I think sometimes when something's a little above your head. Or same thing with like Darkest Hour, right? A lot of that stuff was really hard for me, but I had a lot of time and Darkest Hour, for example, sent me tabs. So there was no confusion about what the material was. And then when you have something hard, you just learn it slow and you just work on it and work it and work it. But that takes time. And when you don't have time, it's tough unless you're a guy like Miles, who for him, it's much more his zone and his speed. And there's different tiers to this thing. You know, it's like, I don't know if I could be the lead guitar player in Megadeth. You know, I don't think I'm that sick. You know, I'm more of a Slash or a Kirk Hammett uh, type player where it's a little more bluesy. Like it, it gets tech, but not that crazy, you know, or like, you know, I'm a big like Mike Amat guy, very big on melody and I'll shred here and there, but it's never, you know, it's not that flawless <laughs> sounding like a computer shred, you know, but yeah, so that's basically how it came together. And, you know, I think uh, Spencer you know, just liked having me around, like the idea of, of bringing me in. So I think it was between Eric Spencer and, uh, and Mike Mowry. And I thank those guys so much for bringing me in. I really appreciate it. Uh, what else do we got here? Chris Bryant music. You have mentioned in the past, you had to learn, a, a different play style when joining Bad Wolves. Did you find any particular challenges or new styles that you had to adapt to during that gig? Yeah, with Bad Wolves, it was really this low-tuned kind of gent thing. The, sonically, it was different, and with the that you're you're dealing with low tuning, thick strings, and it's a very percussive type of playing where you're, you're kind of playing like these ghost notes with muting, and it's something that like either you have it or you don't. And even to this day, I'm not that great at it. But one thing I've, I've kind of know, you know, not great compared to Max, who like 
Max has played 95% of the rhythm guitars on all the Bad Wolves records. Like it's his sound, right? The tone is his and the, you know, the, all, all the little intricacies is really Max. And John can play the style uh, pretty well as well. You know, he was a big, like after the burial fan and kind of learned that style. And Chris Kane was very good at it. Um, and so it, for me, I'm just more of a thrash metal guitar player. That's like my roots. And so it's just adapting and, and really, you know, I put hours and hours and it's still like, even if you work on it, like you might never sound like someone else, especially if that wasn't how you, you grew up playing, but I just work on it, work on it. And one thing I, I, I realized, cause I got, I got an Axe effects and I'm using Max's sound, you know, his live tone. And now it sounds so much more accurate. It's a lot of it has to do with the way your tone is designed and getting that sound as well. But I'll still probably never be as good as it as those guys because it's not. I don't pick up a guitar and play that way. I just don't. Um, but I think I've done pretty well with it, and I probably could do better if I just you know just put more time into it. That's really what it's about. You got to sit down and work on it, you know. And you gotta. It's groove. It's pocket. It's feel. And it's a lot of just. Man, it's it's tough, you know. It's but but you have to keep learning things to get better, you know. Uh, what do we got here, Eric Casper? Well, actually, before that, Meredith Bell talked about doing a podcast on the Headbangers Boat, where she can ask me questions. I'm down. Let's uh let's look into it. Uh, Eric Casper, Doc, when are we gonna see a Doc Hoyle signature guitar? I get this question a lot, and. I'm sure there are companies right now, like today, I could go to and go build me a custom guitar and they would do it. Um, you know, I've been with ESP a long time though. And the way they do it is they, you build a custom guitar and then they decide to either yes or no, make a signature based on that custom. And I just haven't put a custom design order in and that's totally my fault. And I could have done it years ago. <laughs> and a lot of it is just because I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about the gear. You know, I'm just, I use the stuff I use and it's a great tool, but I'm all about using it and not like overthinking it. And I think there are some people who are just gear people, you know, like Kyle from Bad Wolves, Kyle Conkeel, he's a gearhead. Like all, that's all he's thinking about is, oh, this kind of wood and these pickups. And I'm trying, every time you see him, he has something new. And you know, and he, he designed his signature and it's done really well. Uh, so I just really need to carve out time to sit down and actually work with some people that know a little more than me, because my, my whole thing is if I'm going to design something that other people might buy, it has to be something people would buy or else. Why are you doing it? Then it's just vanity, right? It's just having a signature just to have one, which is still cool, right? It makes you look cooler. makes you look bigger. Um, but I want it, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it right. So we'll see not anytime soon. You know, but, and even still, like, I can make a um, a custom and they go, nah, we don't think it really makes sense. And I can't really be mad at them, you know. Ultimately, it's their their choice, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Catatonia 5 on Rockzilla Tour, which band did you hang out with the most? Um, well, you know, hung out with Pop Roach a lot. They're the best. Um, pro I, you know what? Actually, on that tour... Yeah, it was probably Papa Roach the most, uh, but that was like the tour. Like I really got to know the Hollywood and dead guys. And I remember it was like halfway through the tour or not even half, maybe like a week through the tour. And I just knock on their door. And go, what's, you know, what's up guys? Like they're like one of those bands. I don't think they're going to like track you down to hang out. But if you go and 
be outgoing, then they'll like kind of embrace you. And then we just became, we became home. I became homies with all those guys. I, I love hanging out with them, but probably that tour, just pure hangs and vibes. One of the best tours I've ever done. Cause that was still COVID protocols. So we couldn't, we weren't allowed to go out to the crowd. We weren't allowed to meet people. So we really only had each other, the people in the bands. And so, and it was just, just all support, all fun, no egos, a fantastic tour, man. We were really lucky to, uh, to get that spot. Um, immortal, not um, mortal Nate. I was gonna say Nate, but <laughs> Nate, immortal Nate. Was it hard getting used to that giant stage and were you allowed to use all of it? So giant stage, he means the circular Metallica stage, or I guess more oval stage. Uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't that hard. I'd say it probably took like three shows. By the third show, you kind of knew where it was and how to react with the crowd and vibe out. And uh, it was just fun. I just had a great time. Uh, especially once you got used to it. And for us, it's like figuring out, singing a lot of vocals, you had to make sure if you went one area, you had to get back to your mic to hit your spot. And so just learning that, and once I kind of figured that out, it was really easy. But the most amazing thing about it was just how excited the crowd was. Like they were just pumped. You come out there, they would, there's all smiles. They want to they wanna give you a high five and us were wearing the suits. So it's very, I guess it's eye grabbing and they totally like ate it up. And I, I loved the dichotomy of looking like a you know million bucks and then playing this really heavy, crazy music. It was just... It had a shock value to it that I really enjoyed. And I would just go all out on those shows. I would headbang my face off <laughs> and, you know, and, and really utilize that time. And, you know, cause you were, when are you going to get a chance to do that again? Maybe never. So it was, it was, it was really cool. And it's, you know, anyone who has a chance to go see that show, I definitely recommend you do it. It's, it's once in a lifetime experience for sure. Bonzer, I think I'm pronouncing that 2.0. Bonzer, <laughs> will Bad Wolves come to Dublin? I'd love to. I mean, it's something I really, I mean, one of the things that's hard about going to Ireland is that uh, it's an island, so you either have to you know, fly or take a, a ferry, so it can be very expensive. And not all tours go there. And when we were in Europe with Volbeat, they went to the, they did UK and Ireland at the end of the tour and we weren't on that part of the tour. So that would have been a great time to actually be there, but it just didn't work out. And, you know, we added our own dates uh, at the end of that tour, but it was that we were there for two and a half months. It was insane. So we just, we were ready to come home and we were all beat up, you know, DL was sick. So we, we couldn't add it then. And so we're gonna be looking at Europe, I'm sure for this summer for like festivals. And yeah, it should be a lot of fun, but, I really hope we go there. I think it's important for us to go to to Dublin. And it's always one of my favorite places to play. I've been there with God Forbid. I've been there uh, with, with God Forbid twice. And I was there with Unearth. And that was amazing. Johnny Tombstone would like to know, is the full God Forbid reunion set from Blue Ridge going to be released? So yeah, that that's the plan. Um, there has some audio stuff has to be done on that. And so I'm... Probably to actually the day this is released, I'm going to go send some emails and get on top of that. Cause I'm our, uh, 
I have some uh, audio people helping me out with that. And I appreciate that. Cause I, I am somewhat limited in that, in that regard. So I need my help. Uh, Taino tattoo. Okay. Interesting name. When is God forbid releasing new music? I don't know. I don't know if we are. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, we've, we actually, let me, let me caveat this by saying there's been interest from a couple labels, you know, prominent metal labels, but with us, it's just been every little thing we do. It's like, we're just agreeing to that one thing, right? It's never been, here's this long plan. It's just, Hey, let's try this one thing. It's very like dip a toe in, in, in the water, because I think once operation becomes so business oriented, it can take the fun out of it, you know? And so, and that was always that pressure of like the business, I think affected us having fun and doing it for the right reasons. So I think we'll kind of take that next step if it makes sense, but it's, you know, making sure everyone wants to take that next step and put that time and effort in. Uh, I think there would be a good appetite for it. I think it'd be fun to do, but uh, the thing I was, I was thinking about this, I was like, man, Bad Wolves has released uh, four albums in five years. And that's fucking insane, which means we never get to stop working. It's like tour, album, tour, album, and write the album between tours. And even though I'm not the main songwriter in the band, I've always been engaged during that time, you know, and like, working on material, working on guitar solos or contributing to songs that aren't even my songs or just, you know, just never, it's never ended. Uh, and so I really need some runway where I'm like, I'm not doing that. I, I you know, if I was going to work on some God forbid stuff, I'd really want to be able to de- focus on it 100%. And so we'll see. I mean, next year, if that's the idea, would kind of be the perfect time to do that. But I don't want to promise anything until talking to other people, but it would be fun. I have music that I'm like, this could be a God forbid song. So I'd have to develop it. And who knows, maybe we'll be like, we'll work on one song and see how that goes and see how whatever it's vibing with. We'll see, but it takes time, takes money and everyone's all over the place. So hopefully I, I would like to actually, but we'll see. Uh, Cthulhu's vinyl. Oh, I like that name. What do you think of the two Red Hot Chili Peppers albums that came out last year? And if you haven't listened, why not? Have not listened. Uh, I, I I think I've heard a song or two. And why not? I don't know. It just didn't occur to me. <laughs> I probably haven't bought a uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers record probably since that record they did with Dave Navarro. And that was a good album. I actually did enjoy that record, but I'm, I, I like Red Hot Chili Peppers, but I think they're one of those bands that like, if you, if you were actually listening to rock radio back in the day, they were by far the most overplayed band on rock radio. So I think I got, they, they, they wore me out, you know, but, but hits, they're, they're an amazing band. I, I love Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know what? Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll give it a listen. I, I've been screwing up. That's on me. Um, all right. We have some more questions, but before that, I'm actually going to play a song by my friend's band. I've played them on the show before. Uh, it's ex-members from Il Nino. It's a band called Lions at the Gate. They're actually playing with God Forbid in Lacuna Coil coming up in Florida uh, at the end of October. So we'll get to jam with them. Uh, but my buddy Stephen Brewer, formerly of Westfield Massacre, sent me their new single. 
and their debut album entitled The Excuses We Cannot Make came out last month, August 25th. Um, available everywhere. Go pick it up. Go, go stream it. It's a really, really strong record, and, and I love these guys. So we're going to play a new song from them entitled Drain. I wish I could go back in time Make up my mind Pleasure turns into pain And comfort turns into shame
Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media podcast network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. So you just heard Drain from Lions at the Gate. My homies, check out their new record, support them. And I love those guys, and I can't wait to jam with them in a month or so. So anyway, let's get back to the questions. Oh, actually, what? Oh, yeah. If uh, you want to sponsor the show, um, you guys know what to do. Just get them in my DMs or shoot me an email at the podcast at gmail.com. Remember, that's E-X. And there might be a little, you know, three or four week wait because I have some people that have already sponsored episodes and I'm basically working my way for them to get some episodes out, I just spoke to Tim Ripper Owens, formerly of Judas Priest, currently of KK's Priest today. We're talking to Josh from Silosis slash X Architects later this week. And then we have some other big episodes coming. So I don't like to, unless it's booked, I don't like talking about it. Even usually I don't like even talking about it unless until it's recorded, but hopefully I don't jinx it. All right, let's go back to these questions. JR Mullen 909 asks, what is your overall view on the state of metal and rock in general currently? So I guess to kind of pivot off my former answer to say this is this is boom times. You know, you have bands exploding, you know, whether it's I mean, we 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 know the ones that are taking off. It's it's bad omens, it's sleep token, it's spirit box, right? They're the ones that if you were to rewind the clock a year ago, where maybe, you know, in theaters or, you know, even smaller venues, and they're like moving up beyond that, right? They're they're moving into the 3,000, 4,000. I mean, Sleep Token sold out Wembley Arena in a day or something, in a few hours. So they're already at that, at that place. So it's just really popping. And there's a bunch of other bands too that 
you know, I can't even remember everyone that's that's doing really well right now. So I think it's in a healthy place overall. And, you know, as Jamie Jossa says, uh, rising tides uh, lift all ships. And I agree with that. But uh, one of the things I I have noticed, I, yeah, Falling Universe, I forgot to mention them. They're fucking blowing up. Ice Nine Kills, they're, they're taking off. So many bands are, are just crushing it right now. But uh, one thing I have noticed is that, and this, dude, this happened during the new metal era too. And it probably happened during the kind of metalcore boom of the early 2010s as well, where a certain sound becomes the kind of dominant strain. And there is a thing, a kind of the low tuned guitar with the synth kind of pop verse with a certain groove and a certain type of production. And I think it was popularized by Bring Me the Horizon. And I think a lot of there's been a lot of filter out of that. And a lot of the, you know, the bad omens, the architects, the spirit box are all kind of off that branch. And you're hearing that with bids like Catch Your Breath. And even, you know, Bad Wolves were we're not immune to that sound as well. We're, I think we're part of that kind of what a modern rock metal band kind of sounds like. And I think that is becoming a little tired. And, but we're still in a phase where like during the new metal era, right? If you sounded like Korn or the Deftones, there was actually no uh, bad thing that would happen. You know, there, you would not get punished for it. You would get rewarded for it, right? And we can think of the bands that kind of had a song that sounded like Corn, and the band still blew up. People didn't care. They liked that sound and that, and especially if you had a visual and an image that went with that, that aligned, that people don't ca- didn't care that whether it was original. They just, it was just like, that is the sound. That is the look. I, I just want, give me more of that. And eventually it's like anything, like, you know, if you have, you love ice cream, but you eat too much ice cream, it'll make you sick. Um, you drink too much soda, it's going to make you sick. You have too many uh, potato chips, you're going to, you know, it's too much salt, right? So I think we are going to see at some point people stop uh, getting high off the same <laughs> level of, of, of that thing. And we're going to see things kind of shift and move to different areas. And and that's fine. And that, that will always kind of work. I think there are like... The record I'm listening to the most right now is the new album by Kim Dracula. If you guys haven't heard this album, it's just, it's insane. It's like, it sounds like Mr. Bungle, and then it sounds like black metal, and then it sounds like deathcore, and then death rap, and everything in between. And it's funny, kind of almost reminds me of like the early Eminem records in terms of the the humor and the skits. And it's exciting because it's different for me. Like I I need stuff, or, it's, or like the new Avenged record, which is probably my favorite album of the year. It's just, they're going, they're, everyone's going right, they're taking left. And that's what interests me personally, even though I love a lot of that stuff. You know, even there's, if there's something that, oh, it kind of sound they're doing that Bring Me the Horizon thing, but the fucking song is good. Just, sometimes the song is good, right? You could take 10 hair metal bands from back in the day and they kind of all sound the same. But if you just like that vibe, that stuff is still popular. New metal is still popular. Like, so... It's it's definitely not going away, and ultimately, it's about how good is a song. Does the band have charismatic people that people connect with, and that's what's going to keep people locked in. So, uh, I think it's a healthy place to be. I I still want to see more different stuff and more weird stuff, uh, and we got to start taking more risks, you know, uh, collectively. So, 
let's hopefully that'll keep happening. And you know, and I and I probably would have said that at any point in the past twenty years is you know wanting to hear more different stuff. We, I've always wanted that. Uh, let's say AD smooth. I think it says AD smooth. Any Metallica hang time, or is it more about getting the job done? So, I personally like would almost try not to bother the guys on show days if they came to our dressing room or or whatever. I saw them around. Yeah, like we'd have a minute, but they're so busy. They're always going somewhere, and they're you know I I know what it takes for them to put on a show. They're you know they're getting massages and they're doing their warm ups and they're. You know, there's there's a they, their days are so busy, and I and I can't imagine what it takes to to make that show happen. So even though I'm friends with them and in a band with two of them, I kind of try and leave them leave them be. But the hang time really happened at these like after show dinners and things like that, uh, and that was fun. It was fun to bond. I got to, you know, one time I was talking to uh to Kirk, you know, and I was just like, hey man, you know, it's like. You know, like I'm like, how do you remember all those songs? I'm like, do do you practice like these Metallica songs? He's like, why the hell would I ever practice Metallica songs? <laughs> He's like, they're just there. <laughs> and I think, and I, I I think that's so funny. But I know he practices because it's like they have the new album, right? They, he hasn't been playing those for 40 years, so he has to practice them. And they definitely practice a lot as a band. But it's uh, it's just funny, like getting those little moments where you can kind of uh just get an insight because he was talking, he was talking about, I guess he had screwed up the part from nothing else matters. And just, you know, what I love his attitude about it, which is like, you know, Hey, you screw up sometimes and you just, you got to own it and you just, you just move on. Um, and it's awesome, you know, just getting those kind of intimate moments and, you know, getting closer, you know, we've gotten closer, um, in the last couple of years. And that's, that's cool. Cause I'm, when you're dealing with a famous person, you you know, it's really famous where everyone wants a piece of them. You don't want to be like trying too hard, you know, to, uh, to be that person. Does that make sense? I don't know. So yeah, it, it's, it's been very cool. And actually I got to like this time is probably the most like FaceTime I've had with, with James Hetfield as well. Um, and he's like by far the most intimidated guy in the band because he's just, he's Hetfield. He's six foot four. <laughs> you know, he's getting better looking as he gets older. He's, he's ripped, you know? Um, and it's like, it's cool when you come in and like, you know, you're at, you're at like a thing and he like calls you out to say hello or something. And that's, that's still, still, still pretty, pretty mind blowing. All right. Let's see. I got some of these, I put these in a document. So they're kind of, some of these questions are repeating. Um, all right. Uh, now we got the new questions. This is from Dante Gentile or Gentile. I don't know how he pronounces that. What was your favorite song to play when filling in for Ice Nine Kills? Uh, also met you in Phoenix at the Otto Bastardane show. Thank you for talking with me. You're very welcome. Uh, I really liked playing Stabbing in the Dark. That was a lot of fun. I always liked playing Funeral Derangements. As you can see, the <laughs> I enjoyed doing the uh, the heavy ones. And actually, one song that, that became really fun was... Um, well, I forget the name of it. Um, Rainy Day. Because <laughs> that wasn't... It's funny, they gave me that originally to learn, but then they just took it out of the European set. And so I didn't have to play it till we came back to America. And it was really fun to sing. The, the vocal part I had to sing was a lot of fun. And it was just, just a simple, fun, heavy song, you know, and went over really well live. And then we actually we threw in Take Your Pick 
uh, at the end because we had some shows at Lamb of God. And that was, I really enjoyed playing that song. It's a, it's a headbanger. Uh, another person asking about the signature guitar already answered that. Favorite, this is from Mr. Death Metal 910. Favorite Cannibal Corpse album from the Chris Barnes era. I have to say, like, I mean, I guess I would say The Bleeding, but I, I actually don't listen to that stuff that much. When I listen to Cannibal Corpse, it's usually uh, the Corpse Grinder era. So I list, so in my two albums, it's basically Gallery of Suicide and Bloodthirst. There's my dog barking in the background. So wish someone would uh, stop, stop. Ruby, shut up. All right, well, just gonna have to deal with that. <laughs> uh, Ashcar3 asks, are you going to start streaming on Twitch again? So actually, today I did the Ripper Owens interview and I, I streamed it on Twitch. I have been doing Twitch and the reason why is when I originally signed up for Twitch, I thought I was gonna be home all summer. And so I was gonna be able to create a schedule and do it properly. And then all that whole tour got thrown at me and I asked them, I go, Hey, can I move this contract back? And they're like, Nope. <laughs> so it, you know, it, it just, the rollout is not what I intended. And so it was so hard to get my hours in when I was out on the road, but you know, by the time I, I, I completed my contract, I just like, I was done and I, I didn't, I didn't really want to do it on the road. I wanted to do it at home. So Short answer, yes, more than likely, I have to talk to them about re-upping or see how what kind of deal they want to do because, you know, maybe I want to stream on YouTube or maybe I want to stream on something else. We'll see. I know a lot of people do well on Twitch, but you have to dedicate the time and consistency and the quality. And so, so we'll look into it. Uh, and I have a lot going on, but it's something I want to do because the thing I like about Twitch is you can just take the things you're already doing and make it content. You know, I can take... Uh, working on the podcast, making content. I'm working on some new tunes. I can make that Twitch. So you don't, it's not that much extra work as you think, but you still need to promote it. You still need to be consistent and scheduled. So, and I think it's a great platform. Um, Marty Nick, would you consider taking gigs in bands that aren't metal rock oriented, jazz or country, for example, Another way of asking this, do you ever get bored of being in rock metal bands and why? Uh, I don't think I have enough background musically to play jazz or country, being totally honest. And the one genre I feel like I could probably bring a lot to the table for a band is like a hip hop band because those they tend to get a little heavier live. Uh, the tone, you know, it's hip hop is still heavy, even though it's not you know, you don't think about it in the same way, but it's still grimy. It's still got that groove uh, and you could do a lot. You can be creative. Um, and I think I'd bring a lot to, to the table if that opportunity ever presented itself. It's like, oh, Run DMC needs a guitar player. So it's like, I think I'd probably do pretty well in something like that or, you know, Kendrick. But you know, Kendrick does a lot of kind of fusion shit. So I, I might not even be sick enough for that gig, but it still would be, still would be cool. Um, but I don't really get tired of playing rock and metal. I mean, I... It's primarily what I listen to, um, and it's it's more like what I get tired of if I'm doing one. If it, you know, when I was doing God forbid at the end when I quit that band, I was kind of done playing that style for a minute, and I you know, and I started Vegas Nerve, which is a lot more mellow and atmospheric, and I and I really enjoy that side of things too, and I like 
you know, even Bad Wolves is fun because it's like it's got this gent thing, but then it's got this rock thing. And you know, I like bands that kind of mix it up, you know. Rob DeBoer, 1987. You down in Santa Monica? I am not. I do not live in Santa Monica, but I, I enjoy it. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful era. Area, excuse me. I'm in another beach, Long Beach. Frodo 880. So, Doc, what was your biggest adjustment for you playing with Einstein Kills? I see you as a riff master who welcomes the solos. Was it cool just kind of staying to a script? They're a unique band at regard to song construction and delivery. So, I wanted to, your take on that. Um, the adjustment, I think, like, their stuff is technical to in a different kind of way. Like, uh, you know, like Dan Sugarman, he was like, this is tech death in a lot of ways. And it's interesting because they'll have certain songs that are, you know, very rock or like, or very basic and very easy, you know, whether it's um, Shower Scene or, you know, Ex Mortis or Grave Mistake um, or Savages. You know, the solo gets gets pretty shreddy, but pretty straightforward songs. And then stuff gets real complex. And, you know, you, have, you know, probably one of the hardest songs was... Um, uh, a rash decision and it's like every time you know every time the riff comes around the tag is different and it adds this and there's a lot of crazy stuff and like i said luckily i didn't have to play the craziest stuff um because i wasn't technically playing lead in the band but there were some parts obviously you're, you're playing a lot of that stuff and it's fast um so some of their parts it's <laughs> we what's the song we were doing um your numbers up there's this one part in the second verse it's just like fast as hell like all their parts like if you did it 10 bpm slower it would be manageable and then you do it up to speed and it's all 200 bpm it's 180 it's high tempos and you're just like fuck this <laughs> so it's and even the breakdown in that you're like man if they just bump this down 10 bpm it would hit harder too but they're just they you know it's whatever their energy that's what they're about um funeral derangements that whipped my ass just learning all the all the parts and you know because it would the, the same the part the verse would come around and it was always different and so their stuff is kind of proggy in that in that sense but they're able to make it really catchy uh in there but yeah it, 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 it was a lot you know and even some of the solos when i was learning the solos were whooping my ass and i never got to really play them on stage but i still want to learn them uh, just to get better and just, just to prove to myself that I actually can play them, you know, but it's, well, you know, it remains to be seen how well, I, well, I could play them. I don't think I could play them as good as miles or, or Dan, because, you know, obviously Dan, he, he wrote them They're They're geniuses. So yeah, it was a big adjustment. Uh, but some of the stuff, you know, some of their older stuff, uh, like community of the cursed and, uh, almost felt like God forbid, or like lamb of God type stuff. Uh, so that was very, very comfortable for me. Uh, Holy dang dude asks, why do you think bands like he is legend don't get the commercial success they deserve? They seem to be a band that people and bands love. Uh, who knows, man? I think it's luck has a lot to do with it. Uh, timing look. Yeah. Just like the right band could come out at the wrong time, but he is legend is awesome, man. I, I saw them at the whiskey like maybe three or four years ago, they were mind blowing. And I think they just did the, they played the ice nine uh, convention, the silver screen con. And they love those guys. You're right. Like people in bands love, he is legend. Um, 
So who knows? I mean, they came out kind of around the same time like God Forbid was rocking and they're still plowing away. So I think a lot of bands from that era, if, if you weren't a band that penetrated and got really, really big, it's it's tough to kind of, you know, if you don't make it at a certain time, it's you kind of get stuck in a certain lane. and It's hard to get out of there. So I totally get it. But they're they're fantastic. Uh, favorite moment or moments from the past six months uh, while on tour with Ice Nine Kills with Metallica. Um, man, a re- really funny moment. I forget which venue we were at. It was probably somewhere in Europe. And we're we're going out to play, right? We're like doing our walk, you know? And it's like, you have to like get out there pretty early because it, it takes a while to get out there. And Metallica had just come back from taking a photo somewhere like in, in the venue or on the floor. So they were coming through the tunnel as we were going out and they just stopped us and just started like mixing it up and just talking. <laughs> and we're like, the clock is running. Like we need to get out there to play. And Metallica did not care. They're like, we're hanging out, we're talking, we're mixing it up. And it was just, and I love those moments, but more for the guys in Ice Nine Kills because I've known the Metallica guys, I've met them um, and it's still fun. And it's still like, it's still amazing. But getting to see how happy they were and how mind-blowing it is to them that Metallica took the time to hang out with them and talk to them and connect with them, like, that gets me excited how, you know, like, I'm happy for them that they have that moment because they're never going to forget that, you know, as long as they live. Uh, And that's what you kind of do this for. So I'm really, really happy for those guys. And it was fun. A lot of fun. Um, JD Flory, JD Flory six, excuse me. I don't know if you want to talk about this, but since it was newsworthy, did you see Tommy's making amends video? And what did you think? I don't get the impression that you are hoping for a permanent gig with Ice Nine Kills, but it sounds like that's what he hopes for. I don't know why he won't mention Kyle. I think he mentions everyone else really. Um, so yeah, he made a video making amends. Uh, he put it on his social media never reached out to us. I've never gotten a call, a text, an email saying, sorry, I want to make amends. So what does that mean? I don't know, like, you know, in a weird way, right? Like I'm a very, I'm the type of person where I like to uh, squash, squash things. I don't want ill will with anyone really. So in general, like that's something I'd be very open to but you know what you got to think about is like what are things for you know like as i say this don't ever trust someone who only does good things as long as the camera's on right it's like oh here's me feeding the homeless but make sure i'm seen feeding the homeless here's me doing this good act but make sure you know and at that point is that is that is that pr to show everyone what a good, good person you are. Um, so to me, if you do that publicly, but you don't actually reach out to the people that you're supposedly making amends with, and there was no apology, but you know, he said he forgives me, which is rich. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for forgiving me for the great, uh, terrible thing I did, which I would like to know what that is. I still would like to know what that is. Uh, 
So a lot of that stuff, it's very, in my opinion, very passive aggressive. Um, you know, mentioned, oh, you know, you know, mentioned all the magic that happened with those records, but purposely didn't mention my name as if I had nothing to do with those records. So, you know, if you know what to look for, I think you can see where things really lie. And I think that was a piece of, uh, you know, of PR, you know, get some good pub. And listen, I'll take that over the crazy shit talk and like, act, you know, calling us terrible things and tell, you know, telling everyone how horrible we are and that we don't do anything. And we're, you know, I'm not going to repeat this stuff. So I'll take that. Like, like saying, Hey, don't, uh, stop harassing bad wolves. Yes, I'll take that. But they also wouldn't have harassed if someone didn't tell them to. So it's like some things you can't put the, uh, the toothpaste back in the tube. So that's how I feel about it. And, uh, but I'm not, you know, I'm not mad. I, I, I really don't think about it. I really don't because I think at this point, you know, bad wolves will have either sunk or swam of our own accord. You know, you can't externalize everything and, and make whatever issues you do have any problems you have, like blaming other things. You gotta, gotta mind your own, your own, uh, your own lot in life, uh, and not make excuses. You know, even if you have excuses, you know, it's not really that helpful. So there you go. <laughs> uh, less than Rick, less than Eric, Eric, good Lord. Sorry about that, Eric. I was hoping you got any of the ink guys while on tour. I assume you meant, uh, interviews for the podcast. No. And that really just had to do with how busy I was and how busy they were, you know? Uh, but I'm definitely going to try and get some of those guys while we have time off, uh, definitely get Spencer on. Want to get Ricky on? I mean, really all of them at, at some point. They're all fun guys, smart guys with interesting perspectives and ha all have interesting stories to tell. So at some point, I'd love to get everyone in the band. And, and I'm sure they'd be down to do it. So it'll be fun. But it's those, the, those tours are so intense. It was just really hard to make it happen. Uh, Ryan Clem 99. Now that Max is no longer a touring member of Bad Wolves, will you guys be bringing in a second guitar player permanent? Uh, permanently or, or as a member or using guitar player off stage for live shows. So we do have a, a new touring guitar player, not a permanent member, but just a touring guitar player. And I think we're going to announce him next week or something like that, or the week after that. And a uh, really great guitar player. Awesome dude. I'm sure a lot of you will know this person and uh, it's cool. It'll be cool to have someone to, to riff with again. So I'm going to meet up with him hopefully the end of this week or next week. So and a uh, great guy, great guitar player, very fun. All right, we're almost done with these uh, these Instagram questions. We can go check out the Twitter ones. Who's your favorite Hollywood undead member? That is, this is from Catatonia5. I, I can't pick one. These it, Each member is lovelier than the last, and that would uh, assume that there's some hierarchy there, but there's not. They're, 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 they're the coolest guys. I love those dudes. Um, you know, and I, I have my own relationship with each each of them individually it's they're 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 not better or worse they're just different but uh i miss those guys and i, I hope to see them soon um katarzyna koznik uh i think english might be uh this person's second language so i, I apologize if I, if I butcher uh this question but how look like 
how look like life in tour and how is it to play next to live icon like Metallica? I think what you're saying is what is tour life life like and what is it like to play with Metallica? Um, you know, tour is well, on this level, you know, it's, you know, it's professional. You, you, you know, you have, you have your engagements, you have your meet and greets and you have sound checks. I didn't, I didn't have to go to, I didn't have to go to all the sound checks, but I, I tried to make them when I could. <laughs> uh, but you know, you, 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 ultimately you have a job to do and everything in your day revolves around being excellent and being present for that hour, hour 15 on stage. And, and that's what it keeps me focused. Um, and you know, especially when you're touring in a band that's not your band that uh, has a high standard, you just want to give a hundred percent and and hope that uh, people see that you're you're bringing something to, great to the table. And that 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 was the main thing is, and I try and connect and also be a uh, a positive force behind the scenes. And you know, because even if the tour is great and the shows are sold out, when you're gone for that long, man, people get bummed out they get they miss home they get they're just worn out and so you, you constantly have to keep morale up and that's something i try to focus on and what's it like like playing with metallica it's the best thing ever it's i mean each one of those shows was like a, was like christmas day uh and and that was the point was just to like appreciate it because you because you never knew if you're going to do it again and i know that's how i treated it and it was uh something i'll never forget and hopefully you know i get a chance to do it again you know fingers crossed uh, definitely not Chris Photos asks, how do you grapple with periods of perceived drop-off and enthusiasm from crowds when bands hit a rough patch while maintaining enthusiasm about touring? Uh, E.g. what you've mentioned at the end of God Forbid's run or immediate post Bad Wolves vocal switch. This is a great question and something, you know, that I've experienced, you know, and, and you could say in kind of multiple uh, formats and the most important thing I think when you experience this stuff is to not be delusional. I think, and and by that I mean what a lot of people end up doing is they think they're at a different level than they're at. And so there's nothing worse than someone who's who's like, oh, I'm the shit when, you know, you were the shit in 1985, but now it's 1995 and you were playing arenas and now you can barely sell out a club. And, but just own who who you are. Like the humility has to always stay with you, because um, it you know because to some degree things bands are like stocks. They're up, they're down, they're back up. You know maybe it'll come back. Um, but I think the main thing is don't be delusional. Be real with yourself. The truth truly will set you free. You know, and if if you know where you're at, you know what to expect. You can manage your expectations. You know, and you can actually assess your your state of being, right? You can go, okay, well, the band is struggling in this area, this area, this area. What prescriptions can we take to fix those areas? You know, uh, so so just that, you know, just confronting the reality, it's it's actually liberating when you are delusional and you're like, we're we're still the best. Everyone, you know, they, everyone loves us. It's like, no, sometimes they don't love you. <laughs> And that's okay, you know? And then once you go, once your whole sense of self-worth is not based on needing adoration or validation from 
exterior forces and you go, no, no, I derive my sense of value from my friends and my family and from accomplishing things and being a good person and taking care of the people around me uh, and just creating art that you like. If you like it, then that's ultimately what should matter because you cannot control whether people like it or buy it. You can work hard. You can do, you can do your best to market it, but they decide the people decide you don't decide. Um, and though, you know, listen, those who are really successful, I'm sure they have that feeling of like, I made this happen. And for some, some of those people, they're probably right. They have that talent. They have that gift. Uh, but not all of us do. So, uh, so yeah, so I think just, just being real with it and, you know, and so you can assess your situation. Maybe it's time to stop a band. Maybe it's time to quit a band. Maybe it's time to change direction. Oh, well, this is not working. Let's try something else. Let's go. Let's, you know, and so it, by the way, it's the same thing like depression, right? People look at depression as this bad thing, but if you're not chemically depressed, right? If you're actually depressed because of the material conditions of your life, the depression is a, is a marker for your system to go, Hey, things in your life ain't great. You should probably work on fixing these things and then you'll become less depressed. It's actually there to help you let you know that all these things in your life aren't correct. So maybe it's fixing your habits. Maybe it's getting a new job. Maybe it's getting out of a bad situation. So, you know, I think those moments of just going, Hey, it's not where it was, but let me be okay with that. That's all part of it. And dude, it does hurt when you feel like you were the shit and you're not the shit. It hurts when people don't, don't, don't give you the love. So, and that's all right. Feel that, feel that. And then figure out what the next thing is. And, uh, real big swalls. (laughs) I like that name. Uh, what has helped you evolve your skills as a guitar player? Also saw ink in Montreal last month. Very good and disgusting. I like that. Uh, what has helped me? I mean, just doing different things. I mean, playing with lamb of God, that was a whole different type of guitar playing. I had to learn new vibes and styles and, and absorb different things that made me better. And then right after that, I, I started doing this cover band doing rock covers and I'm playing Led Zeppelin and incubus and, uh, you know, stuff like that. And that, you know, and then you had, and I had to suck at that for a while to get any good at it. Um, and then I, I started jamming with, uh, these guys in Brooklyn, this guy owned a studio, uh, this guy, Carrie and all these like Brooklyn kind of like, not even like really rock dudes. They were, you know, guys who played blues and guys who played, you know, different genres. And then, you know, I'd come in there and they like, they'd write a song and record it in a day. And they were great at it. And none of them were professional musicians. They were all like did other things for work, but I felt like the odd one out, but they just liked having me around and I'd come in there and do my little thing. It's like, all right, we're going, uh, you know, it's like B seven major to this court. And you're like, I'm writing the chords down, trying to keep up and trying to improv. And a lot of it was bad, but it was great. It's like a little boxing gym for your guitar skills and music skills. And then when I started teaching guitar around that same time, having to teach guitar to young kids and teach them theory and makes you, ha- you have to learn the theory in, in order to be able to teach it. So it, it without, you know, teaching guitar gave me a great excuse to actually get better at guitar. Um, and so, so it was like a few years there where I was just like in the wilderness stepping in, and really very little of it metal. 
you know, it was about learning classic rock and learning theory and learning how to improv and that whole thing. Um, and that made me better. And then the different gigs, you know, playing with Darkest Hour, learning that guitar style made me better. I'm sure playing with Einstein Kills for the last few months has made me better. Bad Wolves stuff made me better. All this, every time you get a new style of music, you're gonna you're gonna improve. So, so yeah. And and now my uh, my best gift is really versatility and being able to kind of wear a lot of hats and do it fluidly. You know, and that's a big reason why they like me in the wedding band playing with those guys is being able to kind of play some funk and kind of do that thing. And I, and I was never a funk guitar player, but for some reason I could kind of emulate it somewhat well that Robert liked it. And, you know, and I could f flow freely and groove and be and vibe on that. And that's something, you know, Rob's like, he's like, a lot of guys, metal guys can't do that. That's why we like you in this band. And I'm like, all right, if you say so, but just bringing that whatever soul I have. Um, so, yeah, so it, it never ends, never ends. But the more experiences you can get and the more different kinds of stuff you can play is gonna make you better. So, so there you go with that. All right, well, now we're done with Instagram. We don't have that much more, uh, that many questions more, but it's been fun. These things always I always get intimidated starting them. Once I start, it, it, uh, it just flows by. All right. Another drink of water, sorry. I don't know if I don't know if that's like ASMR for someone. Someone enjoys my my water drinking. <laughs> so Chris Wolford, good Twitter follow follow if you're in the the UFO, uh, your UFO guy like me. He sends me a lot of stuff. Anyway, he has a UFO or UAP question. Current thoughts on the UAP issue and whistleblower David Grush testimony to Congress. Also, could you get Devin Townsend on to talk about his creative process and he thinks non-human intelligence have influenced his writing or songs? Whoa, some big questions there. Uh, on the first question, I find the David Grush testimony compelling and the interview he did, uh, News Nation, I forget the name of the uh, news organization. I find it compelling. He seems credible, but until we get the information he is saying he got it where he got his sources from then you you, know, you, ha you have to just remain skeptical but interested you know and, and hopefully it moves the conversation i think it has positive and negative implications in that uh you know i think the way people operate on this is if you're someone who just generally doesn't believe and think is kind of bs no matter what you see or hear it, you're just going to kind of stay in that zone and you're going to find a reason for, well, this is why it's ridiculous or this is why it can't be true. Um, but I think if you're a believer, you also have to go, okay, I believe this is the case, but that belief could, should never be definitive, you know, until you have definitive evidence. And we have a lot of evidence, but we don't have things that are un controvertible proof that's in front of us. And so I don't know how they take the next step of creating the avenues to open up the sources that he's saying exist. Um, it seems like there's a lot of pushback internally. Like he was saying, oh, I need to get into a skiff so I can give this uh, classified information to Congress people. And they were denied that, which me already feels very conspiratorial, right? And they also, they took away his, his, uh, his clearance. Uh, 
So a lot of sketchy stuff. I don't know how you bridge that gap. Like if it's true, how, what impetus is it for these supposed like deep, deep state organizations to come clean with it? If their whole thing was, it's, we're keeping it a secret. So I don't know. I don't, you know, and that's assuming that's true. So, but I don't know what this guy's motivation could be to lie about this. I mean, you could say that for so many people, like what is their motivation to come out? Like, I think if anything, it hurts them. Some people are like, oh, they can make a lot of money. I mean, I guess they can make some money. That's true. They can make documentaries or do podcasts or write books, um, you know? So there, there is money made. I'm not going to lie that there isn't, but I think for someone who comes from that world, intelligence community, military, there's a lot more downsides. Um, Westron on Twitter. I don't call it X. Fuck that. What is a movie that kept you up at night? Like you watched it and it fucked you up so much that you lost sleep or thought about it for days. Uh, there was a movie called Miracle Mile with Anthony Edwards. And it was about a guy who was supposed to meet a girl at a diner at like two in the morning. It was like he was supposed to meet her and he had a date and like he, I guess he, he got there late. He overslept and he was, there was a phone call at a, um, pay phone and it was some guy who worked on a military installation, supposedly who thought he was calling his dad and he was telling him that they were sending the nukes that night and that he needed to like get out of town or get to safety and then realize it wasn't his dad. And he was like, who's like, who is this? I'm not, I'm not your father. And it's like, and so he took that information basically in the whole night is him, like the people in the restaurant and like the lady he was supposed to be on a date, like trying to get out of Los Angeles uh, when there's a nuclear bomb. And it just, that I thought that I saw it and I saw it late at night, like <laughs> one in the morning to like three. And I was like eight years old or something. And I would just do that. I would just stay up and watch movies on cable and uh yeah i couldn't go to sleep i thought the bomb was coming that night i mean that red scare nuclear holocaust shit in the 80s man was was real and i'm sure now it's probably as, as real now as it's ever been um and i'm sure if there's a there's a movie like that for young people they'll probably feel the same way but yeah it wasn't wasn't freddy krueger it was it was uh it was miracle mile so it's still like i almost don't want to rewatch the movie and then there was another movie called um the day after uh, it was about like a nuclear Holocaust and it was a made for TV movie, you know, and it was like, you know, the fallout and like people losing their hair and the, you know, the, the radiation, it was horrific. <laughs> that stuff like fucked us up forever, man. You know? And I think you, you see that and you go, why would anyone ever want to be in a war? You know, that really shaped me. Uh, Jerry Suckley, real reason you guys dropped off tour. Uh, so yeah, important question people have, have been asking. I mean, the the main reason, the real main reason is that we could not find proper uh, transportation. We had a bus. We were told, I was told multiple times the bus was locked in, lost the bus. Then it was like a budgetary thing of like, we're like, we can't really afford a bus without going into debt. Um, and then we got more money to be able to do it got another bus you know a week before the tour not even five days the, that bus falls through there's no bandwagons available um and you know and basically we felt we were not in a position mentally or physically to do the tour in a van 
you know, and I'm sure a lot of people don't want to hear that. Um, but you know, we got, you know, a couple guys over 40, a couple guys, you know, just under 40. Um, and it was, it, dude, it was just a tough time. And listen, like on top of that, I think if, if we were in a better place on our own, I think it, we probably could have figured out a way to work it out. Um, but a lot of conflicting things all happened at the same time. Um, and I wanted to do the tour, you know, um, at, like at a certain point I was like, all right, if we don't do the tour, it's fine. But by the, by the time I flew home, I left the, the ice nine kills tour. I was going to miss a show, which ended up getting canceled with five finger death punch. And I was on my way to rehearsal when I found out the tour got canceled. So I was doing all the work. So by the time I found out it wasn't happening, it was very deflating. Um, and I knew there'd be negative impacts. Um, it's not good for your credibility to drop off tours. And we've had a couple instances this year. And so while it's unfortunate, I think we needed to do a lot of house cleaning internally. And sometimes that happens. So sometimes you need to take a step back to hopefully uh, take a step forward. And we'll, we'll see, we'll, we will see what happens. But we're promoting the record. We're all, all hands on deck. But yeah, you never want to cancel a tour. It's it's you're disappointing the fans, you're disappointing the other bands, you're disappointing the the record labels and the the, the uh, booking agents and everyone involved. You know, a lot of you know crew members don't have work that month, and and I'm uh yeah, I'm definitely don't feel great about it. But I think it was just something that there was no way around it, and it, it sucks. So I apologize. I, I will keep apologizing to everyone because I feel terrible. Uh, Articus Spartacus, what's your favorite God forbid song to play live? That's a good question. I'll tell you, I really was, we added some like deep cuts on the last run of shows and it was constitution of treason and bat the angels. And both of those were really fun because they're very groovy songs. They're not overly technical and they just sounded really powerful and were really fun to play. And I get to sing a lot in those songs. That was fun get to get to get to yell my ass off. <laughs> um cool badass moments from tours this year. Um man, it was really cool getting to see um uh Alex Terrible sing with Falling in Reverse. I got to capture that video of him like from his behind, you know, from his back, and then I went out front and that went totally viral. It's got like hundreds of thousands of views on TikTok and Instagram and even even Facebook. It's like probably the most viral thing I've ever done. Just kind of see like you knew it in the moment. You're like, this is some historical shit. <laughs> you know, and those those guys are like, you know, him and Ronnie, they're superstars, man. They're absolute superstars. So just to kind of be in the orbit of something like that and see it, see something special, it's uh it's really cool. Um best or favorite moment from the last six months on tour with Ice Nine Kills is from Robert Cochran, Tori Metallica. Um, I mean, mentioned that, I mean, just doing MetLife Stadium, you know, where I'm from in, in Jersey was, I don't know, man, it was, it's really gratifying. It's, you know, I, I kind of was joking. I was like, oh, I, you know, shove it in the face of the people who doubted you. You know, it's like, I was joking, but a little bit of that is, is a little true. It's just, you know, I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, a lot of people wish bad on me uh, and wish me to fail. So it's, it's good to have moments like that in the place where you're from. And you just take that all in. A lot of people go, oh, you knocked that off your bucket list. I'm like, man, my bucket was never, I was never on my list. I didn't even think that was possible. So 
that was really wonderful. Um, do, do you consider jo Joseph Ruiz? Actually, did he ask this? Uh, I think he asked this question on Instagram. So I think I already answered this. So I think we already did that. Um, who are the coolest bands you got to tour with this year? Uh, I mean, yeah, Slaughter to Prevail, seeing them, that was intimidating. <laughs> playing, with, playing with them was no joke, man. They are, uh, you know, a force to be reckoned with. You know, they kind of remind me of like a deathcore behemoth, just the intensity and just how heavy their songs are. And, and it's, uh, it was cool seeing that because they're, they're blowing up already. I mean, they're selling out every venue they play as a headliner. Uh, but seeing them in like arenas and seeing all like you could see them like converting fans in real time. That was that was fucking cool. Um, Charlie Borges Jr. Would you rather play the Starland Ballroom or the Stone Pony? Um, Starland. Yeah. I mean, Stone Pony is a cool venue, but God forbid we were never really a shore band. So we we did our first show ever was at the Stone Pony. Um, and, you know, played in front of like, you know, 40 people or something. And then we did a headliner there in like, oh, six or oh seven. And it did just okay. You know, um, there was like a bunch of FSU fights and it was kind of annoying, but you know, I still, you know, I, I, I kind of wish we were part of the history of Stone Pony, but we weren't really weren't in Starland. We always had huge shows and it was great. And it's, I think it's a better venue. It sounds better. It's bigger, uh, more centrally located. Paul Armas, who's more godlike, Phil or James? I mean, gotta go with Hetfield, man. I mean, Hetfield's the, you know, he's, I, I call Hetfield the logo. You know, like if you have like the NBA where it's like the, lo the NBA logo is like Jerry West dribbling, that heavy metal logo should be Hetfield's power stance. It's the most beautiful thing in heavy metal. So to me, it's James is more godlike, um, you know. That's what I'll, I'll say about that. <laughs> uh, Troll Band would like to know, any advice for bands looking to make the jump from playing regionally to going out on tour? Okay, so this is a an, an interesting question now because things are changing. It's, it's just getting so expensive to tour. I actually don't know how young bands do it. Like unless you're 20 years old, you all live at home and you, you know, you buy a cheap van and you kind of do it that way. Everyone sleeps on floors and you figure it out until it, until it works. I just don't know how bands do it. Like I'm noticing a lot of these new bands, they're funded. They have like millionaire parents or some billionaire is paying for it. Or I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's, it's like this luxury that rich, only rich kids can do now. Um, so I, you know, I'm seeing a lot of bands buy on tours because, you know, and even for the, the, you know, bands that are big that you think are making money, they're actually losing money on the tour. And they're like, they're making money from other avenues, which allows them to lose money on tour. But I think it's this thing where we feel like that's what we do as artists is we tour, we play shows. So the goal is just to like, do that, to have that be your life. Um, but I don't know. I actually don't like, cause I think a lot, what happens is a lot of bands, they start touring, right? Cause let's say, let's say you like, Oh, we're, we're doing a, a national tour, but you're not playing in front of anybody. Like what good does that do? I mean, outside of doing it once 
just to like get a feel for the road, see if you can hack it. Like if you can do a shitty tour and like not kill each other and you can actually get through it because it, it does build character, but you don't want that to do that like all the time. You want to do that once or twice and go, okay, how do we not do that? How do we tour successfully? Um, so I th- listen, I think all this stuff is best accomplished through scene building. You know, uh, you want your friend band to invite you out, you know, even if you're not getting paid much, but that's better than buying on or, you know, just hoping it works out. I mean, obviously the best thing is to build your own audience. So, you know, no one really wants to bring bands out that don't bring anything to the table. And when you do see that happen, usually it's like the booking agent is like, all right, we're developing this band. So you're going to take him out or it's the manager pulling a favor or the label pulling a favor. Uh, but you're going to do that so long. You need to ha- you need to be bring value to the table. Luckily, there's more uh, opportunities to do that now than ever, right? You can promote yourself on social media. You can build all this stuff on your own, but it's, it's tough. Um, so I say start small, don't kill yourself. Don't go out and spend all your money because you're going to, you're, you're not going to have fun anymore if, if it sucks. So just build it small, build communities and do it that way. Go out with a band of, of like mind and of similar size, similar values and, and, and start small and hopefully it'll build out of that. That's the best way to do it, you know, but, you know, I know the hardcore scene is still. It's still DIY that those things still exist and it's probably bigger than ever. So start with the underground and work your way out. You know, I think that's the best way to do it, but it's tough. I wish I had more answers. Anthony would like to know what's something you still want to accomplish as a musician. Um, I think the thing I want to accomplish the most right now is just a sense of like security. You know, I think the way I am in the business. It's like, you feel like you're only as, uh, safe as your, the last thing you did, your last album, your last tour. And it's like, you know, a lot of people they will congratulate me on, Oh man, congrats on, on the tour. And I'm like, and I appreciate it. I totally get where they're coming from, but once it's over, right, it's over. Like, that's the thing about touring. It's not like, you know, it's one thing of like, if I played guitar on appetite for destruction, and I have an equal share, them checks never stop coming. <laughs> but once you get off a tour, it's just a memory. All right. Maybe, maybe there's video footage and people show that in the, but, in, but that is still just reliving a memory. Um, and that there's things you can build from that. There's things you can take away from that. And that's beautiful. The experience and the connections you make, like I'm sure it will lead to great things in the future. But I think for me, let's just finding something where I can feel, uh, that I'm like things are okay, but I, the way I operate, the reason why I do so much and I work so hard is because I'm in this constant state of feeling like it can all go away at any moment. And I felt like that ever since bad wolves started, because I, I saw things go away with, with God forbid. So my, you know, that idea, like, just don't get comfortable, keep grinding, always be working on the next thing because, you know, I, like, you know, I tell people, it's like, I, you know, tell my lady, I'm like, once I get off the road, the checks stop. So if I don't work, if I don't uh, develop new things, there's no money coming in. There's no life. So you have to just constantly be doing that. So it'd be nice to be able to like breathe a little bit (laughs) and have some stability. Uh, 
you know, and like I said, it's not like I'm doing bad. I'm doing the best I've ever done. But I think in a way that makes you grind even harder, you know? So I don't know. So that's, that's like the main thing. But as far as that, uh, you know, I don't have like, oh, I need a platinum record or I need this, you know, some, some other thing that I've played most of the venues and done all the, the, you know, most of the cool things, but that's, that's the main thing I'm thinking about. Uh, Kat would like to know, do you have any pre-show rituals you do to get ready? I, depending on the show day, I'll work out, I'll do like a yoga or something like that, but mainly it's, I'll do my vocal warm up. Um, not always with Bad Wolves, but I was doing it with Ice Nine because I have to sing a lot higher. So I need kind of need to do it. Uh, try and play guitar, like not just right before you go on, but if you can play guitar like early in the day for like an hour, like you, just to get that familiarity is always helpful. Uh, do a stretch, like I, I have this uh, roller, so I like, you know, kind of crack my back. Um, do stretch, warm up, and I, I like to have like a drink, you know, kind of just, just, just one drink, you know, drink like one drink over the course of like an hour, like one drink. Cause so you're not really getting drunk or even buzz you're just kind of just just loosening loosening it up and uh and i like to listen to music you know i have this jbl shout out to to, to jbl uh bluetooth speaker and you know just stuff that puts you in a good mood and makes you feel like you're at a rock show you're there to have fun and not just do a job so that's my main thing you know and, and usually like each band you know have their little ritual whether it's a speech or you put your hands together like with ice Nine, we were doing we drink a shot or you know, with, with Bad Wolves, we, we do our little uh, rip before the show. So that's that's really what it, what, it, what it all is. So, all right, guys, that's all the questions. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Doc Coil Q&A. I always appreciate all, all the interest. And it usually, yeah, usually, I mean, we're about an hour, 40 minutes in. So, so there's always enough to talk about. And uh, I appreciate you guys listening to me yammer. And thank you for bearing with me as far as taking a long time between episodes. Um, but we're back on it now. I'm home for about another six weeks before these uh, God forbid shows uh, come up uh, next month. And then the, the Bad Wolves tour with, with Bush starts right after that. So it's going to be like bang, bang. I'm going to have about, you know, going to be gone for about another six weeks with all that. So it's going to be fun. But uh, love you guys, take care, and Mamba is out. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.